Anger Part 3 and Acts Chapter 11 coming up on the Grey Snapper podcast. Been working on my bar chords, Austin. I love you, Lord, and your mercy never fails me. All right, welcome to the Grey Snapper, a podcast of Grace Church in Napa Valley. I'm your host, Jess Arns. As we get started here today, I want to give you a quick encouragement from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2-4. through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. The thing I really want to point out to you in this passage is that it is God's divine power that has granted to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. That means everything that we need to live a godly life has been granted to us, and this is how it's been given to us, through the true knowledge of Him who called us by his glory and excellence. So we gain access to this power through the knowledge of God, and that is revealed in his word, and it's been given to us. And we can see this later. But his His promises, his word, these things that he has communicated to us through the scriptures, the written word of God, are what enable us to escape the corruption that is in the world, to, to put off the lusts of the flesh, and all of these kinds of things. So you have everything that you need, Christian. If you are a believer, everything that you need to live a life of godliness. That's pretty awesome. Well, let's get into our weekly warning. Mm, See that? I went from an E minor to an A minor to an E. Here's what I want to warn you about this week. I want to warn you about the temptation to believe two things. To believe that you are either above sin, meaning that you can't be tempted and and are too strong to sin, that you can go into any situation you want and and just bear up underneath it and, and be able to not give in to temptation. And so putting yourself in harm's way. I want to, I want to warn you against that. And on the flip side, I want to warn you against the idea that sin is too strong for you. That is, that, that you must give in to temptation. That, that if you find yourself in a situation in which there's temptation around you, that you believe the temptation is too strong, you must give in to it. And I want to warn you from 1 Corinthians 10, 12-13, it says this, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. That's speaking of those who want to get close to temptation and close to sin. He says, take heed that you don't fall. And then verse 13, here we go. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So you see here, God has promised that that the temptations you face are not special to you. They are things that people have endured and have been tempted by throughout history. It's common. You don't have a special temptation that you're going through. Your issue is not a special one. And God is faithful. 
How so? He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. So God is in control, and he will make sure that that temptation does not exceed your ability to uh, endure it. He will control and, and, and limit that temptation. Though it may feel very, very strong, he is in control of that. So you have to believe that understanding. It is not stronger than what God is allowing you. What, what God has allowed is not stronger than your ability. And then, not only will he limit the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, sort of like a harbor on, on, a, on an island. You know, you, the ships in the ancient world, you, you, a storm would come. They would try to get into a safe harbor and let the storm blow over so that they could endure the storm safely. God will provide that harbor for you in the midst of the storm. You have to take it. You have to, you have to follow his direction and his leading in that. But he will provide the ability and the way for you to be able to endure the temptation. Now, it's not so much to get out of the temptation and to avoid it. You can't always avoid it. But by his grace, you can go through it and endure it. And the point is this, that you do not have to sin in any given situation. And so I want to warn you against believing those two lies, that you are, that you are too strong to sin, that you, can, that you can put yourself in any situation and, and not be hurt by it. And on the flip side, that's believing that sin is too strong for you. Well, let's get into a resource spotlight. Resource spotlight for today. We've got three resources I want to point your way. And uh, I've mentioned these before in relationship to the dealing with the issue of anger. And just as I mentioned, believing that anger is too strong for you, that you must be angry, that you have to sin in a given situation you need to understand that uh, that anger, your anger, is actually a choice and that you have the ability to control it. By God's grace, you have the ability to deal with it and you do not have to lash out in ungodly anger. Well, there's three resources that I want to point you to that can be helpful. One is called Good and Angry by David Pallison. And then, um, so it's Good and Angry, It's and he deals with the issue of anger, um, you know, what is righteous anger? He, he delves into that. And how does that differentiate from unrighteous anger, sinful anger? And it's it's a that one's a deep, thought-provoking book. One that's a little bit more uh, practical is uh, by David um, David Welch. Is it David Welch? Ed Welch. <laughs> the second one is called "A Little Book About a Big Problem." A little book about a big problem by Ed Welch. And it's basically a 50-day devotional dealing with the issue of anger. And the thing that is helpful about this is when you're trying to overcome anger, you have habits of thinking, and it's helpful to have a daily sort of check-in that's not a massive amount of reading but can help you think through the issue of anger and build your renew your mind on a daily basis with regard to this issue. And so when you, when you deal with it daily for 50 days, like this one has you do, it's, it, you really start to notice that a change in your thinking and in your habits. And so I would highly recommend that. And then last is Help, My Anger is Out of Control by Jim Neuheiser. And that's the one that we've been working through recently. And we're going to continue working through some of the concepts in this particular book. And so for today, we're going to talk about how God's grace empowers us to overcome anger. Wow, that was awful. Okay, how to overcome anger by God's grace. Okay, a couple of things to note. God's grace is, yes, it's his unmerited favor towards us, his kind disposition towards us, but it's more than just good feelings. 
It is his power at work in us that enables us to obey him. It, God's grace is his favor in action towards us, accomplishing good on our behalf. And so God's grace is not merely motivational, it's also empowering to us. So here's a few things that we can kind of meditate on to help us overcome anger by his grace. Number one, God's grace enables you to exercise patience and self-control. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is a glory to overlook a transgression. And Proverbs 14.29 says, He who is slow to anger has great understanding. And again, Proverbs 16.32, He who is slow to anger is greater than the mighty. He who rules his spirit more than he who captures a city. A lot of people claim that they can't control their temper, but the reality is is that um, they sinfully choose not to control their temper. Okay, That's, that's important to understand. When you don't control your temper, you are sinfully choosing not to control it. You are sinfully choosing to give in to your feelings of anger and to, and to vent that anger. So it's super important to understand that. And you have to understand, too, that, uh, that for the believer, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is that of self-control. So the Holy Spirit, by, God, by God's grace, grants you the ability to, the ability to have self-control in the midst of your temptations towards anger. Okay, number two, God's grace enables you to speak with gentleness and grace. So you can control your anger and exercise patience and self-control, but also you can, instead of lashing out with harsh words, you can speak gentle words and give grace to others. Proverbs 15.1 says this, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Think of Think of your conversations and your reactions to things. Someone might say something to you that you take uh, either the wrong way or, or perhaps they are sin- sinning against you. How do you respond? Do you respond with gentleness or do you respond with harsh words? Because those harsh words stir up anger. What if they do something, they're not intending to do something wrong against you, but um, they do something that it irritates you or annoys you and or, or causes extra work for you and you lash out in anger or you say something harsh and that stirs up strife and anger and not only in them but in you there's something interesting about it that once you kind of start going down the path of harsh words it breeds more harsh words by you you st- you begin to think of more things like that you you and and if you don't repent of that you actually get better and better at using your words to wound others well, gentleness and humility, on the other hand, breathe the opposite. It, it calms down anger in others, and it helps you. It actually, it actually helps you to, in, uh, to grow. To, you come up with more ways to show gentleness, to come up with more ways to show humility. And it just has this exponential building effect. If you're a wife whose husband is grumpy and impatient, you can respond with compassion and gentleness rather than retaliating. Uh, Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. If you're a husband who is uh, impatient with your wife, this often happens. Men become embittered with their wives for various reasons. 
uh, a lot of the a lot of the reasons are just the differences between men and women, and men can tend to look down on that, and vice versa. Well, rather than tearing each other down for the differences, weaknesses, sins, Ephesians says that we're to use wholesome words to build up according to the need of the moment. You can learn by God's grace to do that. But it starts with believing, first of all. Believing that you can by His grace. And number two, believing that you must because sin is is wicked, evil, and destructive. Okay, number three, God's grace enables you to humbly receive correction even when it's done hurtfully. Okay, this is, this is huge. God's grace enables you to humbly receive correction. There's a, oftentimes people will disagree with you or seek to correct something that you said. They might even be wrong or they might be doing it from a sinful attitude themselves. they intending to hurt you. But by God's grace, you don't have to respond in anger. You don't have to take that hurtfully. You can respond to that correction with humility. Rather than returning insult for insult, rather than counter-punching, you receive it with humility. Listen to Proverbs 9.8. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Do you understand This is super important. When someone turns around and hates you for correcting them, the person is a scoffer and a fool. On the other hand, if they are wise, they will love you in return. A wise man loves correction. A wise man loves input. Even if he disagrees with it, he is grateful that someone cared enough to have the conversation with him and bring up the fault that they thought that they saw. All right. So, it's important to understand this. This is huge. Otherwise, you know, we'll be, we'll be, um, we can never correct each other, and we, and we won't grow if we're unwilling to receive that correction. Number four, God's grace, again, remember, God's grace, His, His enabling power, His empowerment, His work in your life, because He loves you, because He cares for you, He's at work in your life, and he gives you what you need to walk with him, his grace enables you to show love to those who hurt you. Wow, that's huge. Just like Jesus, right? Just like Joseph. Think of Genesis 50, 21. Joseph, rather than hurting his brothers who had sold him into slavery, that's amazing. They sold him into slavery. And instead of returning evil for evil, in Genesis 50, 21, he says this, Do not be afraid, he says this to his brothers. I will provide for you and for your little ones. So be comforted. And he spoke kindly to them. Isn't that amazing? He could have let them squirm. He could have let them feel uneasy. Instead, he comforted them, spoke kindly, and promised to provide for them rather than throw them into slavery like he absolutely had the power to do. Romans 12, 20 through 21 says that we're not to... We're to leave vengeance to God, not to take our own vengeance. Instead, we're to care for the needs of our enemies. We're to love them. We're to do good for those that spitefully use us, just like God did. Just like God did in Romans 5, 5.8, he says, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, in that while we were still his enemies, he died for us. So we're to show Love instead of anger. And we're to imitate God's love. God is the, his love is the template for how we are to respond to those who hurt us. We're to walk in love. 
And just as Christ loved us we're to give, and he gave himself up for us, we're to do the same, even for those who hurt us. Number five, God's grace enables you to pursue the restoration of those who hurt you. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, essentially it's this, Galatians 6.1. If anyone is caught in a trespass, if anyone's caught up, anyone trapped in sin, you who are spiritual are to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So when someone is caught up in sin, we're to take efforts to try to free them from that sin, to correct them, to turn them from their ways, and to bring them back into a right relationship with the Lord, helping them to repent, uh, putting our arms around them when they do. That's what we need to do. Galatians 6.1, bear one another's burdens. That is huge. We have to understand that our brother's transgression is primarily against God, not us. And therefore, our desire is to make their relationship right with God first. And then we not only want that, not only do we want them to turn from the sin and stop that, but we want their, their um, character to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. That's our desire. See, oftentimes when someone sins, we get angry with them, and it's not because we desire God's glory. It's because we don't we look down on the person or we don't like how they treated us, and therefore our purposes are to get them right with our uh, preferences for how things should go. But that's really not how it ought to be. We who are spiritual, who are led by the Spirit of God, who love God, we will desire, if, this, if, that, is truly our, if that is truly what is driving us and our motivations, then our desire will be to restore that person and, and to restore them according to God's ways. We want them to walk according to his spirit. Not just stop doing stuff that bugs us, but rather, instead of that, put on spiritual fruit. The you know Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. That's our desire. That's where we're going to lead them. And so therefore, of course, if we're going to do this, we have to understand that we need to be led by the Spirit as well. We need to be led by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Okay, We need to walk by faith and work through love, which is the genuine concern for other people. But we're, we're led by God's word, by his ways. We believe what he has said, and we're motivated by love. And when we do that, we're able to see clearly to uh, react to others in a godly way. But see, if we're motivated by our own idolatry, that's like having that log in our eye, like, like Jesus talks about. You know, we want to judge others, we want to help others with a speck in their eye, but we've got this plank hanging out of our eye. And what is that plank? Well, really, we've got sin in our own life. We're driven by our own desires. We're not led by the Spirit. We need, by God's grace and by His Spirit, to remove that log from our eye, we need to remove that plank so that we can see clearly. And we will only see clearly when we are no longer driven by our own lusts and pleasures, but we are driven by God's glory above everything else and empowered by His Spirit. And therefore, that will enable us to do these things. Next time, we're going to talk about practical principles for overcoming anger. Let's continue in the book of Acts chapter 11. going to play like five different songs right now in the same at the same time 
and my guitar's out of tune. <laughs> okay. All right, let's get into probably my favorite part of the podcast, and that's just reading in the book of Acts. I just love this. We're going to pick it up uh, in chapter 11. Last time, of course, we uh, saw how the centurion Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and his entire household got saved. And now we get to see how Peter relays the, the news to the other uh, believers in, in, in Israel, the other Jewish believers. So pick, pick it up in verse 1. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the Spirit of God. Or, not the Spirit, the Word of God. They did receive the Spirit too. Verse 2. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised, that's the Jews, they took issue with him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Again, speaking of him going to the Gentiles. See, the Jews at that time did not do that. They did not eat with Gentiles. They considered it, considered it unclean to do so. So he's saying, you went to the Gentiles and you ate with them. Verse 4, but Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. And when I fixed my gaze on it and was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth and the wild beasts and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and everything was drawn back up into the sky. And behold, at that moment, three men appeared at the house in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house, and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was, who, who was I that I could stand in God's way. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. So then those who were scattered because of the per persecution that had occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, Cyrus, Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached to the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnab Barnabas off to Antioch. Okay, so stop there really quick. 
So remember, when, when they had first scattered because of the persecution, they were preaching the gospel everywhere they went, but they were really focused on the Jews. They, they had, really hadn't, didn't have in mind that this gospel was to go to the Gentiles. Well, now uh, we're seeing here that the Gentiles are, re- Gentiles are receiving the same gift of the Holy Spirit that the Jewish believers did, and there was no distinction. God saved both of them and gave them the same exact gift. So to their credit, they, when Peter reported this, they accepted the report and they rejoiced. So praise the Lord for that. Well, now we're beginning to see how there were a few people that began to speak the gospel to the Greeks in, in Antioch. And of course, this is, if you're looking at a map and you see Israel, these regions, these cities uh, are, if you take the coast of Israel and you go straight up the coast, uh, you hit Lebanon and Syria and Turkey and those kinds of places. So that's where these cities are. Antioch, uh, that the one that this one is speaking about, is in modern-day Turkey and south, uh, southeast Turkey. So these people got saved in large numbers. They don't have a number. They, don't know how, they didn't have a count there, but large numbers of Greeks turned to the Lord. Well, then, when the brothers at Jerusalem heard this, they sent Barnabas off to, off to Antioch to confirm this and then to help lead them, lead that church so that they would stay on the right path. So look at verse 23. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with, the resol- with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. Isn't that cool? Remain true to the Lord. Stay with this faith. Verse 24. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. That's Barnabas. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. So he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. That's when we were first known as Christians, was there. So he goes and grabs Paul and he says, Paul, all these believers are there. All these Greeks are there. Come with me. Let's teach these people. Let's disciple them. Let's build up this church. And it becomes a mainstay of Christianity, a a hub of faithful Christian teaching for, for centuries afterwards. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine over all the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the portion of that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea, and this they did sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. All right, so you see the church is not only caring for their own within their own church, but also being concerned for the needs of other believers uh, far away. And uh, that really demonstrates the unity of the spirit that we have with all believers everywhere and the concern that we should have. And to the degree that we have the ability to help uh, other believers that we are aware of uh, in their physical needs, We should have a heart to do so. Thank you for listening to The Gray Snapper, a podcast of Grace Church of Napa Valley. If you'd like more information, you can go to gracenapa.org. And until next time, keep swimming.